Hello, everyone. This is Chris Miller, your co-host of your absolute favorite podcast of all time, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Uh, today, we just want to ask you, if you're enjoying it, to subscribe to our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can get exclusive content, and you can help out Rob and Chris do all the things you love so well. Remember to hold fast and enjoy the show. Well, I'm sad to say that we will no longer be living in a free nation where people can come together and rip chunky fucking clouds, man. Man, I I, I even told you I didn't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens, man? They're going to outlaw vapes. and it, When they outlaw vapes, only outlaws will have vapes. The, the only, only thing, thing that'll stop a bad guy. The only with a thing vape. that stops a Chad with a sick vape rig is good Chad with a sick vape rig. What is every guy named Trent gonna do? Oh my god! I don't know. like, and it's who's gonna be the most outspoken? <laughs> the jewel teenagers. Oh no! Just like the general vape rig, like up to fifty year olds, which is always weird when you see somebody that's clearly out of their thirties with a vape rig. Or <laughs> big fat clouds coming out of the sunroof of a Ford Crown Vic. <laughs> so I was in traffic one day, and this dude was blowing <laughs> these clouds out, and it was uh, like a Civic hatchback. Oh man! It had the spoiler like drilled into the roof. <sighs> but every time he did one, I just freaked out. Yeah! <laughs> every time I'm sitting in traffic by the 40th Street Bridge, the dude's like leaning out the window. He's throwing up like the hang loose, the shock of bra. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I just know that every protest to counter this ban is gonna look like that movie, The Mist. Oh god! Imagine the smell. <laughs> oh. It's gonna smell like it, it, like a nuclear pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, there's gonna be a cow out there with a white claw in his hand, and he's not gonna stand for this injustice. Half half white claw, half monster. Also, who was that unfamiliar voice? That is our good friend and Patreon supporter, JoJo Vinay. Hello, I'm JoJo Vinay. I come from Munhall. <laughs> good thing he's in Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's otherwise all you he, need to know. Otherwise, he'd be introducing himself as Chris Miller. <laughs> right. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of introducing we're... himself as Chris Miller, um, I'm not Chris Miller. I'm Rob North. I, however, am Chris Miller, your co-host. And you are listening to the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades podcast. So today... We're back from summer break, y'all. Yeah, we're back from summer break. Good things, to be back in the kitchen, cooking up some spicy, fresh content. Things have been a little uh, little wiggity-wackity the last few weeks, but we are back, and it's time to get medieval, y'all. We're talking about Bad King John. It's a, it's a great name. Yeah. It's a great name, just overall. Like It even kind of makes him come off a little bit cooler. It, 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 it sounds... I don't know, man. It just sounds like somebody. It just sounds like one of those guy, like a studio guitarist in the seventies. <laughs> Donald Duck Dunn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like somebody who definitely played backing for Warren Zevon in '76 or something. Uh, lawyers, lawyers, guns, and Some Bad lawyers, King John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know who Bad King John was, we're talking about King John the First of England, and King John the First was one of the worst monarchs to ever sit on the throne of England. And this is saying something because they've had some. Yeah, at, there's some humdingers. They've had some 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 monarchs who, at best, let's say the jury's out. Um, so he was a true villain. He was a constant schemer who was always at war with his nobles. He launched disastrous campaigns against England and rival France. And he carried out the systematic murder of relatives, political rivals, and basically anyone who got on his bad side. 
and he was brutal about it. In addition to being utterly incompetent at kingship, he was vain, self-serving, and unwilling to accept reality when things didn't go his way. Now, this is also going to be a special episode because this is going to be our first three-part series. We've done some two-parters before, but because we are dealing with somebody who his entire life has been chronicled, we have so much information about this guy. I probably went through between the our, our, our all of our sources maybe a thousand pages of literature. I mean, it, it took a while to gather all the information that we're, we're going to use on this guy. Uh, so we're going to split it up into three parts. Yeah, three easily digestible parts. And the thing that's going to be really fun for everyone here is that... Uh, uh, I lost my show notes at a bar, mm-hmm. so I'm going in fairly cold. Hope you guys like winging it. Chris is about to vaudeville the shit out of this. It's going <laughs> to oh, be great. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I'll hit him with the old razzle-dazzle in this episode. <laughs> I got this. So we were speaking about source material. Uh, let's talk about our sources for these episodes. My fucking source I will talk about the sources for <laughs> these episodes. Talk about Rob's so the first source I have is King John, Treachery and Tyranny in Medieval England by a man named Mark Morris. Now, Mark Morris, I'm a big fan of. He's one of Britain's preeminent medievalists. This guy is a font of knowledge, and he really does his homework. This guy's put out, I want to say, maybe eight or nine books about England in the Middle Ages, and he is just, he's incredible. Absolutely incredible. My second main literary source is The Plantagenets by Dan Jones, also a Brit. Uh, again, very, yeah, hey, very... You know what I could have guessed, just strictly from the title, I could have guessed nationality on that one. Yeah. He... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he also has a fantastic book out about the War of the Roses that I highly recommend as well, a.k.a. Game of Thrones in real life. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, Our War of the Roses episode is going to be weird. I don't know. How, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to chunk that one apart. You mean our 71-part series yeah, on the Wars of the Roses? Because we do have to do some War of the Roses. Maybe we'll pick like an individual event mm-hmm. and go from there. Or a certain person. Yeah. That might be easier. Because Yeah, like War of the Roses... Like okay, how many pages is that book? If um, it's about the same as the one I have on the Plantagenet, so maybe 400, 450. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. The right. Plantagenet book I have yeah. sitting in front of me it's four hundred and eighty six pages. Okay, so and uh, it's it's heavy duty. And yeah, it it really really is. And uh, but unfortunately, telling the story of anybody in the War of the Roses is kind of like telling the story of King John. King John was a lunatic, but he was a lunatic among lunatics. I mean, everybody else in his world was just nuts. They were out of their mind. Who was crazier? It, like, this this era of the monarchy, like pre-Magna Carta monarchy, <clears throat> or just Rome in general? Because um, it's pretty close. Ooh. I don't know. I'm going to say the medieval period. because I, See, I'm going to go Rome on this one. And we'll, whenever we start doing these people, we'll compare our notes. Yeah. We'll do pros and cons. I mean, if we want to compare, let's say, King John to maybe Caligula, Caligula's crazier. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Society at large, medieval medieval Europe is way crazier Nero than Roman Europe. used to dress in animal skins and run around biting people. <laughs> gotcha, bitch. Gotcha. <laughs> you would, the, the, you Romans, would... the Romans at their feast would sometimes just eat dead people. Yeah. No wonder everyone had the plague. Well, well, go go back to uh, they didn't have. Well, go back to our Christmas special to hear about Saturnalia. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I love the yeah. Saturnalia. Um, and and now uh, the final part of our sources are. This was the most aggravating part of this was uh, translations of various medieval manuscripts, and oh boy, some of them are thick, and it's real. And with medieval chroniclers, 
Some of them have a great gift with telling a story, but it is incredibly hard to parse the truth from the utter bullshit. That's the thing that kind of got me about King John. When I was reading it first, and I'm going through my source material, and I, I do, I try to go exclusively online, or I, I do audiobooks, or mm-hmm. I get my Audible stuff, get maximize my Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, when I'm starting all this, that, that they really gave Bad King John a fair shake. Like, because this, you know, history's written by the victors. Yeah. And I know he was an easy guy to make a villain. Yeah, my opinion kind of changed. <laughs> yeah. Turns out, this dude was not only a repugnant piece of shit, he sucked at everything. Oh, yeah. He wasn't he very was good at terrible. anything. terrible. And he had plenty of opportunities to do great things, and he personally just stuck a wrench in the works of all of them. Like, oh, I'll just make myself king of Ireland. Like, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> With yeah, we'll we'll get to that part of the story too. But that was his grand scheme. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll just be king of Ireland, and then I'll be king of England. Like, yeah. Wait, how could that go wrong? <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Yes, so before we start on the subject matter of King John himself, I want to start with a little bit of background uh, about the world into which he was born and the dynasty that he was a part of. Now, the Kingdom of England in the mid-12th century didn't resemble the UK of today. Although the idea of a United Kingdom of England has existed for several centuries since Alfred the Great, the ruling line of which John was a part had only been in power since William the Conqueror invaded Anglo-Saxon England in 1066 with his army of Normans. So they've only really been in place for about a century. And, of course, these are people from Normandy in northern France. And this French lineage is very important because the ruling elite of the Kingdom of England considered themselves just about as French as they did English. For several reasons. One, French was the go-to spoken language among the nobility. Whether they were from the Pyrenees or Yorkshire, it really didn't matter. If you were within the territory of the Kingdom of England and you were a noble in the 12th century, you spoke French. Second, a large part of the territory of the Kingdom of England was actually in France. Almost the entire western half of what is now modern France, from the Spanish border to the English Channel, was in the possession of the English and was known collectively as the Angevin Empire. And third, the entire royal family, most of the nobility, all of the high clergy, they were all from French noble lineage. They basically bowled out all of the English nobility and completely, completely took over. Now, Ireland had yet to be invaded by the English, but this would come soon after John's birth. Scotland was its own separate kingdom with its own royal lineage, and constant border skirmishes were a fact of life. And this was also the situation in Wales, which, while it was on paper its own kingdom, it was in fact a client state of the English, with the Welsh princes swearing fealty and obedience to the whims of the English crown. The medieval world in the late 12th century was governed by two primary social forces, feudalism and the church. Oh my, how things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and very little social mobility. What? The system of feudalism revolved around having a monarch. Years. <laughs> we, we're yes. close, man. We're yeah. right there. Feudalism revolved around having a monarch at the top of the heap who granted estates to high-ranking nobles who would use that land to raise taxes for both the royal treasury and their own pur- purses, and in return for the grant of land, would provide men and arms in times of war. Below them would be another level of lesser nobles, another layer of nobles below them, and so on down to the largest part of the population, the landless peasants. In this world, agriculture was the primary form of commerce, and because of that, land meant wealth and land meant power. The other main social force was that of the Catholic Church. Religion was a powerful factor in medieval life, and the church was almost like a society in itself. It had its own feudalistic power structure, it had cathedrals, monasteries, 
nunneries, all of these institutions are ubiquitous throughout society, and high church officials could wield enormous wealth and power. It was just as common to have a bishop own a castle as a, as a high-ranking knight. I can't be the only one that looks back at feudalism is just like, what the fuck? Just every, like, feudalism is know, just man. so impossibly weird. It's just that you're looking back like, how did this ever happen? I don't care how rich these people I are. Don't but, know. It, but those people were that rich. Yeah. And not even, I think rich is the wrong word. They were that powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, kings had a lot of temporal power, but they ruled at the behest of the Pope in Rome, without the blessing of whom no ruler could be considered legitimate. Because of this and the wealth of the church, the Pope, his cardinals, and bishops would often find themselves in direct conflict with the machinations of kings and princes. To illustrate just how much, how much power, wealth, and influence the church could wield, in 1170, some 26% of the acreage in the Kingdom of England, this is the entire Angevin Empire, belonged to clergy or church institutions. Do you have the mileage on that, or do we have to do the math? On uh, square miles? Yeah. Off the top of my head? Let's we'll, we'll do the math and we'll check yeah. back on that. Because we'll get back. It's on going that. to be absolutely staggering. Yeah. Let, me, let, let me make a note of that one. Huge amounts of acreage, huge amounts of square miles. Now the English crown at this time belonged to a dynasty known as the Plantagenets, who we will reference many times in this series. So it's best such, we go into it's such a just a, just yeah. a sweet word. <laughs> it's best that we go into a bit about who they were. The Plantagenets were descended from both the lines of William the Conqueror and his lineage, and the rulers of the Duchy of Anjou, a western uh, a large province in western France. By the mid-1130s, a crisis in the royal line of succession had led to a 20-year-long period of civil war in England, simply known as the Anarchy. Between John's grandmother... I thought the Plantagenets were just like a big banana that was kind of like a sweet potato. And then that turns out that was a plantain, so... Mm. It, it, it autocorrect, it got me. So I, I had pages <laughs> That'll teach pages you to speak to text. pages. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Amer- um, so... This civil war breaks out between John's grandmother Matilda and her cousin Stephen of Blois. A marriage between Matilda and Geoffrey, the Count of Anjou, who was known for wearing a sprig of broom plant in his hat, known in Latin as planta genista, or in French, plante agenée. Their union brought on the birth of Henry, who in his teen years became a talented warrior and battlefield commander, and would provide the impetus for final victory in the Civil War. He's tall, he's strong, he possesses great charisma and talent for matters of state, but he also has a famous temper that would be inherited by all of his Plantagenet descendants. Now, it was said that during one fit of rage, Henry disappeared into his chambers and was found rolling around on the stone floor, ranting senselessly and gnawing his way through his mattress. His story, like a goat. I thought, would be like really cool and fun because he had an explosive violent temper. Like, there's yeah. got to be dirt on this guy, but like, that's like kind of the one highlight. It's a great it, highlight. Oh yeah, and also like that would be like because all the stories talk about like how he was this big, powerfully built guy. <laughs> it could just be because he was, you know, in the monarchy. Yeah. But just imagine like if Joe Manganiello went nuts. And then, like, shit himself in a like a an in and out. <laughs> out of sheer anger. Yeah, he was so mad. He was so mad that Popeyes was out of that chicken sandwich that he just shit himself on purpose. <laughs> and then proceeded to eat a mattress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't? Yeah, it's, right. I'm we've all been it. there. Yeah. It's... So in 1152, Henry expanded his holdings by marrying Eleanor of the large and powerful Duchy of Aquitaine. Eleven years, Henry Senior, and an imposing and talented politician in her own right. Now, in 1154, Henry was crowned King Henry II of England, and he and Eleanor set about the business of making heirs, which would result in eight children in 12 years. The youngest of whom... Yeah, locked and loaded, baby. Get it, Hank. Rapid fire. 
That cougar of Eleanor, yeah. It, he was tied for like those weird Duggar people. Just, just, <laughs> oh, and and no. even he thought eight was enough. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm about 30. <laughs> Man, I was. That, that Duggar mom's vagina has an automatic rate of fire. It's a clown car. It's, yeah. It's a clown car. She fertile. So, <laughs> and childbearing hips. <laughs> so the youngest. She birther. Oh, God, here we go again. So. <laughs> The youngest of these Jojo children. Jojo and I are drinking Super Punch. Everything Jojo and I today is brought to you by Super Punch. Oh, Natterdays. So, the youngest of these eight children was John. It's into this world that John was born sometime around Christmas, 1166. And as we mentioned, he's the eighth child. He's the youngest of five sons. This meant that he was not, in the grand scheme, very important. Now, most... Rulers go for an heir and a spare. Henry and Eleanor have multiple spares. This point was driven home soon after his birth when Henry devised a scheme of succession in the event of his death. Now, his elder four sons would all be granted significant landholdings throughout the kingdom, which meant, of course, that they would all have to fight amongst themselves to earn the top spot of ruler once Henry died. Now, John, however, was given absolutely nothing. His infancy grew no more fortunate when, within a year, Eleanor was dispatched to more closely govern Aquitaine in Henry's name, which, of course, meant she couldn't be burdened by things like her infant child. So John is given a wet nurse and left in the care of nuns at the Abbey of Fontevraud. There may have been a good reason for this, namely that it kept the baby John away from the chaos and turbulence of the royal court, but that still didn't work. Yeah, oh, what could possibly go wrong? In 1169, rebellious barons attacked... <laughs> yeah! yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> On April 20th, 1169, I made that up, but still. Rebellious parents attacked Eleanor at Poitiers, nearly killing her, and came after the toddler John, although the nuns of the abbey managed to spirit him away into hiding just in time. After the rebellion died down in 1170, Henry II committed the most notorious act of his reign by ordering the death of Thomas Becket, Archbishop of Canterbury, a story we may have to examine in a future episode because it is it's a balls, it is balls out crazy. Yeah, because it, it goes all the way to the top, man. Yeah. Though the move didn't cost Henry his crown, as he feared he was considered a pariah in the eyes of the church, and poor John was forbidden from receiving any education in church institutions by papal interdict, forestalling the education necessary for a young prince. <clears throat> uh, by 1173, Henry's mess with the church had mostly cleared up, but his troubles with the Pope had been replaced with troubles with his own eldest surviving son, also named Henry. You see, by this time, John's lack of any estates had been something of a sticking point for the royal family, so much so that John had been given the nickname Solterre, or Lackland. Some say by his own father, the king. Yikes. Yeah. And so Henry decided to make some moves on John's behalf. The first order of business was like, it's like he almost forgot, like, oh, wait, I didn't give John anything. Huh. Eh. Yeah, we need to fix that. <laughs> the first order of business was to arrange the marriage of the little prince, only five or six years old at this time, to Alice, daughter of the Duke of Savoy, making the large duchy on the Mediterranean coast John's to inherit. To sweeten the marriage deal, Henry transferred powerful castles of Chinon, Loudon, and Mirabeau to John's name, along with the large estates that came with them. There was one problem. These all belonged to the large inheritance of Henry III, and neither he nor his mother Eleanor were very pleased with King Henry. So young Henry rode off to the court of King Louis, the, of, uh, Louis VII, King of France, and Henry II's main rival, to gather money and support. With that support, and the urging of his mother, who 
some suggest encouraged her son to rebel out of jealousy over King Henry's multiple mistresses. Henry III, now about 18 or 19, launched a full-on rebellion against his dad. It's also worth pointing out that Louis VII was Eleanor of Aquitaine's first husband, whom she had separated from after a failed crusade for failing to conceive a son amid rumors of an incestuous relationship with her uncle, Raymond of Antioch. Do yourself a favor and look at these family trees. Yeah. Just, just give, like, a Google search will yield everything but, uh, you need. To be fair, these family trees look like a shattered windshield. It is insane. It's crazy. So Eleanor soon openly joined the rebellion, as did John's two older brothers, Richard, age 15, and Geoffrey, age 13. They even coordinated efforts with the King of Scotland to launch an invasion from the north. Henry, however, had acquired plenty of wealth over the last few years and spent most of it on mercenaries, enough to defeat all these attacks on multiple fronts. All the while, it's also worth pointing out, carrying out a takeover of Ireland at the same time. Henry II had a lot of faults, but he was always very, very good at waging war. With all, of her other son, with all of his other sons rebelling against him, Henry removed young John from Fontevraud and brought him to England to be raised thereafter at the royal household. And I do suppose it's less likely for somebody to raise an army against you when they're sleeping down the hall. Uh, stranger shit happens. Yeah, yeah. Stranger shit happens as this story goes on. <laughs> at the age of seven, it had come time for John to start learning many of the skills that nuns weren't exactly known for teaching. Uh, specifically those that aid you on the battlefield. He also received his own personal tutor, ran off to Glanville, who uh, any legal types listening may recognize as the man who compiled the first treatise on English common law. Ran, uh, ran off to Glanville's words are still taught in law school to this day. By the middle of 1174, Henry had defeated all of his rebellious sons, had cornered them all, and they soon surrendered themselves to his mercy. He was magnanimous in victory, however, and offered generous pensions and rich new estates to win his son's loyalty back. Now, John gained the most now officially becoming part of the royal succession, becoming a presence at court, and finally being able to lose the nickname of Lackland. The true loser of this rebellion was Eleanor, who was escorted back to England, placed in confinement in Salisbury Castle, albeit at some comfort, where Henry tried and failed to have the and Henry tried to and failed to have the Pope annul the marriage and force Eleanor to live in a nunnery. He settled for keeping her permanently confined and now consorted openly with his favorite mistress, Rosamund Clifford. John seemed... His favorite mistress. Yeah. Oh, he had a lot. That, oh, yeah. And it comes up a lot. But, but you always have that one. Well, so here's always, the thing. You're going back to You don't want to be the bottom bitch. Well, here's the thing. I, I talk about Henry's eight children. He also had about 25 illegitimate kids. Money, wealth, yeah. power, and you know, inbreeding. Oh, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Now, John seemed completely unbothered by his mother's captivity, but his older brothers were none too pleased. Over the next several years, John traveled with Henry's court on their constant royal progresses as the king worked to repair the damage the rebellion had done. John grew up fast, learning the ways of the royal court and skills of the knight, and soon became seen as Henry's favorite son, albeit the furthest removed in terms of succession. As he grew into a man, John was fairly short, but he was stout and strong, barrel-chested, and an inherited Henry's red hair and fiery temper. He developed a love of reading, and unusually for the period, began acquiring a traveling library of books. He began to fall in love with gambling, and became skilled at games like chess, backgammon, became an enthusiastic hunter, even by medieval noble standards, and he grew to love music, but apparently very much disliked singing, and later on in life would forbid people from singing in his presence. Uh, That's usually the sign of somebody with an even emotional keel. Of course, yeah. Uh, William of Newbury, in his Historia de Rebus Anglicis, 
wrote that John was, quote, genial, witty, generous, and hospitable, but his manner could turn on a dime, becoming jealous, oversensitive, and, quote, prone to fits, biting and gnawing his fingers in anger. Now, John continued to acquire land and wealth in this period as well, mostly bestowed by his father as a reward for not rebelling against him when John was at the tender age of seven. For example, in 1175, Henry disinherited the heirs of the Earl of Cornwall and granted the Earl's estates to John instead. The next year, John was betrothed to his second cousin, Isabella of Gloucester, in order to solidify Henry's relationship with one of his primary barons, but her father died several weeks after the arrangement was made. Henry then disinherited her two older sisters, making her, and by default John once they were married, sole heir to those lands. In 1177, at the Council of Oxford, Henry made a significant move and dismissed William Fitzaldelm, lord of the newly conquered territories of Ireland, and replaced them with the ten-year-old John. Several. <laughs> there you go, kid. <laughs> Dad, I'm playing my Switch. I don't want to rule Ireland. I can't pause it. I'm online. You can't pause, pause it. it. <laughs> Several he, years. He was named. Uh, he was named uh, the Lord of Ireland, and then just Fortnite danced. He just flossed. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> So several you years. Want to see how fast I am. What <laughs> 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 Yes. I'm your king. Want to see how fast? Sick <laughs> <laughs> so, God. Oh no. So several years pass without much, many more events of note. With John quickly growing up and receiving his education, and so by the time John was 15, <laughs> when you know guys are known for being at their most rational. Henry had decided to send John at the head of an army to bring some of the English nobles in Ireland who had gotten a bit too big for their britches in line, uh, namely Hugh de Lacey, Viceroy of Ireland, and, he's, and to set up John as the future King of Ireland. Other events, however, would put that on hold. By Christmas 1182, Louis VII of France had died, bringing to the throne his son Philip II. Philip had begun to woo the young King Henry with promises of support, or began to woo the young Henry young Prince Henry with promises of support, money, and estates, hoping to weaken the ailing King Henry's position. King Henry, sensing trouble, called all of his sons and some 1,000 knights together in a massive holiday court at Caen in Normandy, and, attempting to solidify the disparate regions of his kingdom and set straight the matter of royal succession, demanded that Richard, Geoffrey, and John all pay homage to young Henry, that is, to kneel before him, place their hands in his, and pledge to be, quote, his man. Richard refused, but was one round, provided that he maintained his hold on his duchy of Aquitaine. It was soon revealed, however, that young Henry was in league with rebels who were plotting to depose Richard. King Henry made, made the brothers swear peace to each other, and he sends Geoffrey to gather the rebels together for a peace conference. Now, Geoffrey, on meeting with Richard's enemies, of course, promptly joined them. The court breaks up in confusion. Young Henry rides off to join Geoffrey and the rebels. Richard rides off to crush them, and King Henry raises an army, grabs John, places John at his side, and rides off in pursuit of all of them. Intense skirmishing followed for the next several months, but on the 11th of June, 1183, the young Henry pulled an Oregon trail and died suddenly of dysentery. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. There you go. This took the steam out of everyone's little campaigns, and all the sons returned to the king to restructure their holdings and their plan for the succession. Richard, the new heir, was promised vast holdings everywhere but his power base, and <laughs> threw an absolute tantrum, refused to go along with things, and rode off into the night back to his troops to start a new rebellion. John was given a command of, the, of an army for the first time at the age of 17. 
So a stalemate lasting several months saw Henry try to convince Richard to come back with promises of money and reasoned arguments, but finally Henry lost patience and dispatched John and Geoffrey to attack their brother's lands and bring him to heel. In what would be a pretty good indicator of the future, John failed utterly. He didn't capture a single one of Richard's castles and, in fact, allowed Richard's forces to slip through the net and begin attacking Geoffrey's lands in Brittany. Sensing a long civil war ahead, Henry convened a peace conference in 1184 and went so far as to release Eleanor, now in her 60s, from captivity to bring about a public reconciliation. Nothing had been solved, but Henry could set about finding John's next major task. So on March 31st, 1185, at Windsor Castle, Henry officially knighted John, a symbolic unfurl of arms that signified that John, now 18, was old enough to wield power in his own right, and he was given orders from his father to embark on a campaign in Ireland, once again, in order to assert his power there and prepare himself to become king of the island. John was, let's say, not incredibly enthusiastic about the idea, and begged his father to let him go to the Holy Land instead on crusade <laughs> to lend aid to the beleaguered Christian hey, lands I mean, there. I get it, man. I absolutely yeah. understand. When you're 18. <laughs> gotta, gotta go. Dad, <laughs> don't be lame! Right? Yes. So, John sets off with a force of 300 knights and 2,000 men-at-arms and archers, lands in Ireland in April. And how do you think that whole business went, Chris? Flawlessly. Flawlessly, of Nailed course. Nailed it. Yeah. Just waltzed right in and out. <laughs> Textbook. Done, done and dusted. Surgical precision. Well, it turns, no. <laughs> turns out the whole expedition was an unqualified disaster. Well, with tensions still high between the native Irish and their new Anglo-Norman overlords, many Irish lords met John as their new ruler, but were soon put off quite completely as the new arrivals treated them with utter contempt and derision, going so far as to pull on their long beards, which was, con- <laughs> which was considered a grievous insult. Right. Which is weird because now it's like a sign of like affection mm-hmm. and, and respect whenever you yank on someone's beard. Not when I yank a beard. <laughs> it's completely malicious. <laughs> when has it not been? <laughs> so John also set about granting out their lands to his own followers, and soon the loyalist Irish lords had withdrawn their support and war with the native Irish broke out anew. John and his cronies spent most of their time living large in the coastal settlements, leaving the English settler communities vulnerable to Irish attacks, and the English in Ireland were nearly driven into the sea. And soon many of John's men began to desert, as John had totally neglected to find a manner in which to pay them. With his forces depleted and the English holdings in Ireland in disarray, John is forced to return to England, his place as future King of Ireland now dead. Of course, John didn't blame himself, but instead placed the blame on the head of Hugh de Lacey, the man who had actually managed to stop the Irish from overrunning the English completely. And this is going to be another pattern that we see John, we see from John further on in the story. Now, misfortune among John's wider family continued as, inter, as intermittent skirmishing between Richard and Geoffrey never stopped during this whole period. But the balance of power changed once again when on the 19th of August, 1186, Geoffrey was killed in a jousting accident in Paris, leaving behind an unborn son, Arthur of Brittany, whom we will hear about again later in the story. Philip of France soon launched an invasion, hoping to capitalize on the Plantagenet's loss, but John and Richard joined their forces and managed to fight Philip off in several eruptions of combat over the next couple of years. Although an uneasy peace existed between the brothers and their father, Richard began to chafe, due mostly to the news that the holy city of Jerusalem had been recaptured from the Christians by by the Muslim warlord Saladin, And he wanted so badly to go on crusade to retake the city, but also feared that if he departed for the Middle East, Henry would name John his new successor and undo everything that Richard had fought for. So Richard went for broke. 
He paid homage to Philip of France in return for promises of vast lands and betrothal to Philip's sister Alice, and in early 1189, once again launched an all-out rebellion against his father. At 56, Henry was old by medieval standards and worn out from a life in the saddle and constant stress. Suffering a series of defeats, Henry finally was finally besieged in Chinon Castle, and John had spent most of this period by his father's side, but they became separated on the retreat to Chinon. Finally out of options, on July 3rd, Henry surrendered, giving in to all of Richard's and Philip's demands, and completely humiliated, was carried on a litter to meet his son, too weak to ride. According to the chronicler Gerald of Wales, when giving Richard the required kiss of peace, Henry whispered in his son's ear, God grant that I may not die until I have had my revenge on you. Pretty sweet last words. Yeah. Pretty sweet last words. Yeah. If you're going to go out, go out on top. Yeah. Now, Henry was carried back to Sheenaw, and he's given a list of names of those who have joined with Richard and Philip to be received back into the king's peace in a gesture of goodwill. Now, he insists that the list be read out because he can't bring himself to read it himself. But this may have been the final killing blow, as according to Gerald of Wales, his vice chancellor said, quote, Sire, so Jesus Christ help me. The first that is written down here is Lord John, your son. John had switched sides and declared his allegiance to his brother right at the moment when Richard's victory seemed certain. Convenient. And God didn't grant Henry what he wanted, and Henry died on July 6th, 1189. In September 1189, Richard is crowned King of England, names his four-year-old nephew Arthur of Brittany as heir, and immediately set about raising money to embark on the Third Crusade, and helped to secure John's loyalty by naming him Count of Mortain and granting him more estates in seven English counties, making John promise not to visit England for three years, and thereby giving him time to conduct a successful crusade and return without giving John a chance to seize power. At the same time, John finally married Isabella of Gloucester at Marlborough Cathedral, and as an interesting aside, the Archbishop of Canterbury declared the marriage null by reason of the couple being too closely related. And he placed Isabella's lands under That's interdict. That's the first time in history that anybody ever pulled that one off. Yeah. And he placed Isabella's lands under interdict, but Pope Clement III lifted the interdict and granted dispensation for the couple to marry. However, he forbade them from having any sexual relations. Seems fair. Yep. Just like any other marriage. <laughs> So, three months into your marriage, are you, Jojo? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, three months. Well, if somebody had the over in three and a half months, yeah. I hope you took the under. So, as soon as Richard departed, John set about establishing a shadow royal court with his own chancellor and other royal posts, and lived almost as some sort of alternate king or regent. John's appointments were unpopular and hated each other, and armed conflicts soon broke out. News had reached England that while in Cyprus, Richard had married, and the threat of him siring his own heirs posed a serious threat to John's newfound power. John began exploring an alliance with Philip of France, but was talked out of it by his mom, the still formidable Eleanor. But he still, but he, uh, excuse me, he began to set himself up to make a move to become heir. By 1193, Richard's return was well overdue, and he was feared dead or permanently lost. But word soon reached England that Richard had been captured whilst returning from the Holy Land by the Duke of Austria and handed over to Henry VI, Holy Roman Emperor, who held him for a literal king's ransom. John took advantage of this opportunity and went to Paris, where he did finally form an alliance with Philip, offering to annul his marriage to Isabella and marrying Philip's sister Alice in return for his support. Fighting soon broke out between forces loyal to Richard and John's troops, 
and it was during this period that punishing levels of taxes were levied against the people of John's kingdom in order to raise the funds necessary to liberate Richard, the source of the greedy taxing of the poor that is so often portrayed in the Robin Hood stories. But it was the John's historical documentary, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. Tights, tights. <laughs> you said it. I hey, wasn't going to. Hey, Blinken. <laughs> So after suffering several military defeats and quickly losing the support of his own people, John is forced to agree to a truce and his plans with Philip were scrapped. In early 1194, Richard finally returns, forcing the surrender of John's forces. John retreats to Normandy, where Richard confronted him later that year, but according to the history of William Marshall, declared to his 27-year-old younger brother, Have no fear, John. You are a child, and were left with bad guardians and evil counsel." Go and have something to eat. And Richard forgave John, welcoming him back into the royal peace, and immediately removed all of his land holdings except those in Ireland. Probably didn't sound anything like that accent either. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jojo. Rob, Rob, please continue. As you were. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Over the next half decade, (laughs) John... The thing he went to go eat was the new Popeye's chicken sandwich, and they were out, so he shit himself on (laughs) purpose. Out of sheer anger. That there's a callback joke, boys and, and girls. It's a sister's cousins, and we're all redheaded. So what we got going on now? <laughs> That's crazy. The, the, the War of the Alabama Roses. <laughs> Over the next half decade. <laughs> Roll tide. Roll <laughs> tide. Hook them. Sixty thousand oh, soldiers, whoa, twenty thousand teeth. Hey man, I'm a Longhorn. Come on now. <laughs> Over the ne- <laughs> come on now. So over the next half Sorry decade. Sorry about the red beard, by yeah. the way. So over the next half decade, John supported his brother closely, trying to regain favor, restore his shattered reputation and some of his lost lands. And Richard set about trying to recapture the lands and castles lost to Philip whilst he was on crusade. In 1195, John launched a successful siege of Evro Castle, which would be the only successful military venture of his entire career. Yeah, drink it in now, boys and girls, because it's it's not good. It's not good. Now, everything seemed to go well with John back in Richard's shadow with successful campaigns coming one after the other until the spring of 1199. In late March, Richard was in Aquitaine besieging the castle of Chalou, retaking it from rebels who had declared loyalty to Philip. Richard was standing boldly in the open and not noticing a crossbowman who had been reduced to using a frying pan as a shield. Richard was hit in the shoulder, surviving the wound, but the surgeon made a mess of things removing the bolt, and the wound soon turned gangrenous. Eleven days later, on the 6th of April, 1199, Richard, the famed Lionheart, died. He did. He go. He go. He went so far as to forgive the man who shot him, even insisting that the man be given a bag of silver and sent on his way. Instead, the man was flayed alive. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't, it didn't end according to his wishes. Yes. Uh, this left John as the sole surviving son of Henry II in a position to finally claim the throne of England, having once been a fifth son, a lackland, destined for a simple life in the church, now sitting on the precipice of the heights of power. The kingship might not turn out to be the grand achievement that John was hoping for. And that's where we'll pick up next time in part two of the story of Bad King John. So we have a frying pan and a crossbow and they gonna flame me. How did he hold both? One assumes he might have had a the frying pan on a strap. I, I, I don't know. Like, how do you have both? Because those crossbows were big. None of my none of none <laughs> of my sources gave me those details. And, and, he wore and it on his head like Johnny I'm Appleseed. No on like you know like early cooking utensils. I mean, that frying pan is probably it, heavy too. Yeah, it was probably a very yes, large frying yeah, pan. It came from a military. That's, that's where somebody comes so through the wall. Is, so, <laughs> is, he, is he like 
you know, like Die Hard, frying pan one hand, crossbow in the other. Like <laughs> Maybe action hero, photo. guns akimbo. <laughs> so yeah, what do we think, guys? You're you're kind of getting an idea of just how Ill, like ill prepared he really is yeah. for the amount of responsibility that's about to be thrust upon him. Like one, we know he was devoid of a childhood. He had to grow up very fast. And he didn't. And that's the problem. Because he, he did inherit this uh, explosive, violent temper. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, I, we, I, I we, We're in part one, and we covered his only victory. You know, yeah. th- like, that's basically the point we're And at look at right the now. family he came from. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's one thing that doesn't change. It's, well, you know... Money, wealth, power, inbreeding, and yeah, dysfunctional you, family, have, power plays. Yes, yeah, so now you're married at ten, you know, fifteen years old. It's a, it's, it's, it's a strange dynamic. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll pick up next time with part two. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, very, very quickly, while we have our first Patreon supporter, Jojo Vanay, with us. Uh, That's right. I donated sixty nine dollars. Nice. Oh yeah! Woo! Nice. Um, yes, if you'd like to donate to our Patreon, to uh, if you feel what we do might be deserving of a little bit of cash, please go to uh, www.patreon.com slash trrpod. A, uh, a couple shout-outs to our, our newest Patreon subscribers. Uh, Banana. That's that's all that's written there. Yeah, I don't know who the hell you are, but thanks, man. Banana, if you're out there, give us a shout-out so we know who you are. And, of course... Uh, Little shout out to uh, Mama Deb and the Burn. Mama Deb and the Burn, the gruesome twosome. <laughs> of course, uh, these, these are these are my folks. We're keeping the keeping it in the family. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, Thanks, guys. I love you both. Yeah, they, yes. So uh, I know we have Scotsman. Yes. <laughs> so this is actually our second uh, second bit of podcast adventuring this evening. Yeah, we've had a uh, I've had a full dance card today. Yeah, we were just on the uh, the porch series for you jag off. Uh, with John and Rachel, four four baby. Yeah, those the guys were, They were incredible. They were. They yeah, were, we had a we had a whole bunch of fun. They yeah, really they're great. Fun. They are super prepared. Yeah, we had a great great time talking to them, talking about our renegade adventures, talking about the podcast. Uh, if you want to get the skinny on all things Pittsburgh, definitely definitely yeah, give look them a no listen. Further than than John yeah, Jagoff and, and Rachel Renebeck, they are absolutely phenomenal what they do yeah give them and a you, listen you, on radio.com they had so many things come up for this podcast yeah that we essentially put this together in five days and it was flawless like was these great. guys are so good at what they do they're so they professional are. they are they have like, a, yeah. like an echelon yeah. of, there of was, professionalism that they yeah, really there was zero panic i found really they just impressive. seated their pants this thing like We've got people having babies. There's people that cut sick. Like it was just yeah. a nightmare, and they were absolutely pros that about it. They rocked it. Guy been working for eighty years. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder his knees are tired. Harry, yeah. Larry, Harry, Harry, Harry was really great. Yeah. So um, we also have a couple other events that we'd like you to know about out We've there. Got some big ones, man. Yeah. September's a huge month for us. Yeah, huge. Uh, coming up Friday, September twenty seventh. Uh, for those of our friends north of Pittsburgh. Uh, Chris, you want to give them the skinny? You can find us in Oil City all day, Friday the 27th. We are going to be at the YMCA, and why are we going to be there? No, we're not going to be shooting free throws under, <laughs> like from between our knees and underhand. Hey, hey, hey. hey Maybe exactly. a couple. Pitch yeah, pun. I was a champion once. But uh, we are hosting our very first blood drive. We mm-hmm. have partnered with the American Red Cross and our dear, dear friend, 
Charles Bootjatter, official renegade of the Rotunda. Ola. And all around excellent dude. Yep. Uh, we will be there all day. We will be there from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can go online and reserve your time at redcrossblood.org. Yep. You can fill that out. Rob and I did that. Mm-hmm. Boots got his. But if you're there early on Thursday the 26th at 5 p.m., <laughs> we will be leading the official Renegades Parade through the town of Oil City. Yep. There are convertibles. There are bands. We lined up alpacas. Yep. <laughs> Jack the dog is coming. I, I don't know how. Boot, boot put it all together. He right? is an absolute lunatic. Yeah. And God, I love this man. But, Jack yeah, it's going to be great. Taking a nap. Yeah, Jack the dog's powering out. He had a full day, man. Yeah, he's he been, he's been pretty John quiet Rachel. today. A lot on his docket. But, right. yeah, there's going to be... There's going to be food there's going to be prizes there's going to be uh everyone is encouraged to come in their best pirate outfits we will be judging your pirate I, I won't be since the renegades but are going to be will the, come home yeah. a pint less since I the will. uh lighter lighter than you less yeah the renegades are going to be there in full battle rattles so a prize will go to the best pirate costume uh the second of that is friday september uh, 27th 11 a.m to 5 p.m yeah, at the, the oil the YMCA. city ymca our second event that we want to talk about, JoJo, I'm glad we have you here too because you're helping to you're you're part of the team putting this all together. Yeah, guys, I, want I, I, I am and I'm really excited to be a part of it. And yeah, guys, you want to you want to tell us what we have going on? Going to do here, Chris? You want to you want to? You know, man, like like you said, we're excited to be a part of it. Everybody's coming out of the woodwork. Everybody's excited to be a part of this one. We are hosting our our very first Renegades of the Rotunda farewell tailgate. It's on the last day of the baseball season. It is Sunday, September 29th at noon. In the uh, the canal Blue Canal parking lot, yeah, it's, the Nova Place. It's, it's a Nova uh, Place lot. Yeah, it's at three forty-five Federal Street, right in front of Allegheny Center. It's right two, next to Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> the, the Abe Lincoln Post <laughs> Office. Abe Lincoln Post Office. Wherever you go down Federal, you go past Mullins, you go past yeah, the new hotels cr- on the right hand side. Up until you can't go straight anymore. You know how you go when, when you're right going there. down to casino and you're going <laughs> under that that road. It's under the other road. It's two seventy nine <laughs> up there. You go under there, go under the tracks, and when the post office on your left, yeah. before you get to that light, Abe Lincoln spoke there. You, you turn right yeah. and you go right in that lot right there. So, it's Fifteen dollars. It's a fifteen dollar lot. Uh, it's don't bring your cash. It's only your Mac cards. Yeah, yeah. There's no cash. There. <laughs> that was pretty That's good. Awesome. I haven't entered in a while, yeah, and I, I tell you what, I didn't fucking lose a I step. That was that was waiting to get out. So, I yeah. didn't lose yeah. a step. So, yeah, so this is um, hey Pittsburgh dad, suck it. <laughs> so this is uh, Sunday, September 29th. It's the day of the last Pirates home it game, is. and and the reason why this has become a really cool event for everyone is that our friend, friend of the Renegades, friend of the podcast, Jason Rollison has he's got some bad news he's going through a rough stretch health wise great pirates beat writer incredible and and if you i know every year we pick up the pirates guide comes out before the year pick Mm -hmm. mine up all the time i'm gonna have jason autograph mine and i can't wait because he says he's coming yes i hope so jason and jessica his lovely wife who's with him every step but a guy a guy my age shouldn't be going through what he's going through no absolutely uh, and it's uh, yeah he's going through some difficult medical stuff so we are going to help out we're stepping up we're going to help out jason we're going to help out jessica i want you the listener right now to go to the Renegades, the, the Renegades of the Rotunda Facebook page, 
I have the event pinned. You can find it. It'll be on the. It's on our Twitter. I'll put it on the Twitter for the the podcast. I'll put it on the Facebook for the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we'll link to it all through Everybody our podcast come out. social media. It's as well. twenty bucks to get in. You can uh, even have if Eat, you want to pay ahead. Ban the DH. <laughs> we've got food. <laughs> we've got drinks. We've got everything. I got a DJ today. Yeah. There's gonna be there's gonna be music. There's gonna be dancing. It's uh, going 50, to be. It's gonna be fun. a fifty fifty. There's gonna be a silent auction. I, yeah, yeah, we've got silent auction. About the DJ, did you t- did yeah. you tell him? Yeah, we've got a that's DJ like, in now. We're gonna play Young MC, bust a move for like nice. three hours straight. <laughs> just, that's just it. Yeah. Just play that. Now it's a Joe Jovene party. <laughs> you know, we, for like the Pirates hours. came out. They donated a lot of stuff for us. Uh, we've got some really cool autographed items that I think you're really gonna like. I get a Jameson tie-on signed hat. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at Chris's living room right now. He has, some, seri- right he has some serious. We've got a, a Josh Bell uh, Bell Eve All Star Game yeah. Very signed nice. poster. Uh, I I threw it in a shitty frame. You can buy a better one. Uh, I have a Chris Archer bobblehead. <laughs> Our man Trevor Williams, fan of the Renegades, yeah. fan of the podcast. He said he'll autograph some stuff Trevor. for us. Chad, cool. I'm going to send some stuff down to Florida for him while he's rehabbing before he comes back next season. It's going to be a blast. I'm to see him back too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I love Chad. Yeah. Chad's a bulldog, man. He's getting married this winter. I already yeah. told his fiance that I think I know where it is. And if I show up, they're not allowed to kick me out. Cool. So if you don't hear from me for a while, I'm in jail for crashing Chad Cool's wedding. Well, dude, I'll be in jail with you. Well, I'm going to book that flight. Send him my regards. He, he, like I said, he, yeah. he's, he's a great baseball player, and I'm excited to have him back. And just an, an all-around good yes. dude. And the thing and that was solid great, dude. yeah, is that Chad was one of the guys that I sent a message to. Like, hey, do you think you'd mind if, if I sent you some stuff? Do you think you could autograph it for us? And his response was, whatever you want. Yeah. And, you, and then, and then we went the from ads. there, but that's how we started it. And everybody's been great. We have, mm-hmm. and, and we'll keep talking about this. Uh, load the up two more niners more. helped out. And yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we've got. I've got uh, two club level tickets to a Penguins game. Uh, we have gift certificates to local work. restaurants. That's People right. Yeah. In. Some of the guys from the South Hills that helped me out, like Ben Bartlett's in at uh, Yoli's Re- Yoli's uh, Craft House on eight eighty five. If you guys have never uh, been to Yoli's, run, don't walk, do it, do it's it. Incredible. They catered JoJo's wedding and it was awesome. They did. Uh, Bobby Portogello at uh, Peppers and that. Peppers and that, another one, yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, big Joe time. Joe Duke down at uh, Duke's uh, Upper Deck Cafe and Ethan Hayes, so like a pretty wine bar if, you, if that's more your speed. Yeah. Um, these these guys have always they helped us out incredibly, and, yeah, and I'm very appreciative. It's going to be. A lot of fun. Sunday, September 29th. It's a three o'clock game that day. All the festivities for us start at twelve o'clock sharp. I we'll do see believe. you at noon. If you come a little early, I won't be mad. You yeah, might none help of us set up, but I won't you. be mad. So yeah, it's going to be uh, three hours of a really, really damn good time. Uh, maybe two and a half. I want to watch the game. It's going to yeah, be no, it's, it's going to be bittersweet <laughs> to put put an end on this yeah. baseball. Season. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it, it started it's, as our merciful farewell to yeah. this season, but uh, it's it's going to be great, and it's to help out a good friend who's going through a rough absolutely, time. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to see everybody there. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, so yeah, and again, we're going to post to uh, post all about it on our social media. Uh, Chris, speaking of social media, you want to hit them with it? If you want to find us on the social media, you can find us on Twitter at uh, tr at podcast trr. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at trrpod. As always, keep following, like, and sharing the Renegades of the Rotunda. That's going to be the easiest place to keep up with updates. I'm constantly updating that. Uh, I'll be sharing that one as we get closer to the tailgate and also the blood drive. Yeah. Yeah, keep an eye on that. We'll be posting to our personal social media, too. You can find me on uh, Instagram at Meatneck. You can find me on Twitter at Meatneck2. And I have already blocked all of you in advance. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that'll be... Uh, That'll be something to look forward to, as will our next episode, of course, Bad King John, part two, the middle of three parts, and it's it's only going to get wackier. The John Pyre Strikes Back. 
Great. Nice. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, you're goddamn right I did. You think I'm not going to throw a pun out here? I right. swear to God. All right. I'm out. All right. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to... Okay, so I'm going to put a stop to Chris's oh, no, further punnery <laughs> by saying we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, hold fast. Bye.